Look, it's show 100 of Rich Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. Thank you so much for watching and or listening and or both. Uh, so uh, this is, we've got Richard Bacon on, which should be very, very exciting. Uh, is an interesting man who has had to apologise for a lot of things in his life, uh, which is interesting. Uh, but if you've enjoyed these podcasts, like we've done a hundred podcasts, if you've never given us anything for these in return for these, do you think maybe they're worth one pence each? And could you go to gofasterstrike.com slash badges and give us a pound? If everyone gave us a pound a month, uh, we would be able to make uh, sitcoms, maybe films. We could make a big film studio and put in all sorts of things, but we could certainly pay for all the episodes of this. And uh, we're going to try and do as it occurs to me as well with that money. So uh, if you like this stuff and want us to do more, go and make a small donation. There's lots of you out there. And if you all just make a tiny donation, that would really help. Uh, But like it's 100 episodes long. Just think about that. That's incredible. What a waste of time. Anyway, here we go with Rich Chang's Square Theatre Podcast and Richard Dickie Bacon. Ladies, <laughs> <laughs> I've just thought about what I'm going to say and I've realised how wrong it is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who has had two eight-year-old girls at the penis level of his penis, <laughs> naked penis. It was all right, though. It was all it was. It's Richard Herring. You're much better than last week's audience. They were prick. They were all pricks last week. Every last man jack of them. Uh, welcome to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. Or some of the cooler kids have started. There are some of them have started because they kept a lot of eight-year-old girls who hang around at eye level of penis. They've started calling it Rahulasta Father, mainly through, through the trauma uh, of doing that. This is the 100th episode. Of if, if you ignore the specials. It's the 100th episode done here in the Leicester Square Theatre, which is an incredible thing, so I think. And boy, oh boy, do have we saved the, the best guests. We've had some names on this one, but boy... You won't believe who we've got. Uh, and uh, we've got the best audience. We've got, we've got a lady here who did, who did look at me when I told her not to look at me before. What's, what's your name? Zoe, you got a Union Jack bag? That's very uh, patriotic. What do you do for a living, Zoe? You work for a housing association, I've talked to you last week. So uh, you look very different. If you come in disguise, did you disguise yourself t- so that I wouldn't recognise you? I just saw the bag, I thought, I'm not talking. We had an embarrassing conversation last week. Yeah, let's not do that again. Uh, let's talk to this man here wearing a very nice shirt. Let's look, we're just, we're, I'm going to just do the shirt. So keep your head off. This is like point of view pornography. We don't want to see your... <laughs> We don't want to see the man's face. It will, ah, it's ruined it. So uh, what, do you, what do you do for uh, a living, sir? What's your name, I should ask with? You're Steph. I test software. You test software, have I talked to you before? No. No, okay. I just said that in a way that... And I should have known that you test software, because obviously, as, as the friend, our friend from India... You're in back again from India? Is he back in India? No, he's gone back to India. Uh, that was last week. He tests software as well, so that's, it's nice that... Um, yeah, what, what's the best software you've tested this week? <laughs> Broadcast software, yeah, it's good. It's, that's good. No, that's my favourite. <sighs> Boring, isn't it? Uh, good. You happy with your, the way your life's turned out? Yeah, okay, good. So, uh, Steph there, he's happy with the way his life's turned out. Uh, which is a good thing. It's a nice, you know, I can't say the same. It's just, it's a, this is, look at what I do for a living just create an awkward atmosphere. <laughs> 
Well, look, we're going to crack straight on. I'm, I'm very excited to talk to this guest. He usually isn't living in L.A. You know, imagine all the people from L.A. I could have got over for the hundredth episode. I've been trying to get people from L.A. and, you know, over into cause the big film stars. But he lives in L.A. He's probably best known uh, for his work on behind the scenes of Topless Darts on Ice from Live TV. There were so many to choose from from him. It was, uh, it was so many, you wouldn't believe it. Please, welcome. it's Richard Bacon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Richard Bacon. Welcome. Sit down. Grab a, grab a microphone. Thank you very much. Richard Bacon. Hello. I think uh, Topless Darts on Ice, I still think is my best work. <laughs> <laughs> and what it, what about you, behind the scenes of Topless Darts on well, Ice? Well, I was uh, filmed at the Bayswater Ice Rink, uh, Richard. I'm surprised you missed it. <laughs> I um, did miss it. And it was literally that. Li- li- does anyone remember live TV? It was more than I was expecting. If only that many people had bothered watching it. <laughs> uh, it was a cable channel set up by the Daily Mirror. It was in Canary Wharf. Um, and it was my first job in London. Yeah. And they just had these big bold, bold ideas without any real money. They tried to buy the premiership at one point, right? They tried to buy it, but they didn't have the money to do it. <laughs> um, uh, they had topless darts on ice, uh, and they also had, they had a soap opera. So it was, it was, the reason it was terrible, and it used to be called by Private Eye, Piss Poor Live TV. And... <laughs> The reason it was terrible is it had no focus. It tried to be BBC One, but it tried to do everything. So they said, right, we have to have a soap opera. But they didn't have extra studio space. So I would be writing my news bulletin, and they would be filming scenes for the soap opera around the news desk. <laughs> and some, I remember writing a news bulletin, and next to me, two people were simulating sex at the end of the desk, <laughs> which was being filmed for... Uh, the sitcom, which was called Canary Wharf. And right. you probably have forgotten how the sitcom Canary <laughs> Wharf on live TV ended. I haven't, because I've read your book, but tell everyone else. Uh, <laughs> it ends with Canary Wharf Tower being lifted into space by some aliens. <laughs> <laughs> which could have happened. Which could have. I think I might have been on the first day of live TV. I think, right. I think I was interviewed on the very first day of live TV. It was before all this sort of stuff started happening. Richard E. Grant was there. Yeah. Me and Stuart Lee were there. I think, I imagine it was probably on day one quite exciting. It was very exciting on day one. Who knew what was going to happen? <laughs> no one knew about News Bunny, which I didn't know it was Ashley Hames, who I've played at poker. It was Ashley, Ashley Hames, Ashley Hames. Yeah. I got, uh, I took News Bunny down to, because I was a reporter and a News Bunny, so Ashley was sort of a work experience at the time, where's the outfit? And I took the News Bunny to the state opening of Parliament and... Um, <laughs> And I, we got dragged away by the parliamentary police. They have their own police force, Parliament. Yeah. And I got dragged away, and then I, I, I got a letter from Black Rod, who runs both houses. And um, I've still got it framed, and it says that I'm banned for life from the House of Commons and the House of Lords. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> What if you're elected to become an MP? Would, would he still... Can't happen, that? can it now? I know, I know many of you are really rooting for me to run for Prime Minister, but sadly, it now can't happen. Wow, terrible. <laughs> terrible. So this is very odd. It's a big thing for us, because this is the last day of your 30s today. Yeah, it is, so yeah. So we're recording this. So last night, uh, I had my 40th birthday party, um, and um, I've had no sleep, well, a bit of sleep. I got to bed at 7am this morning. And thank you... <laughs> Thank you so much. I think it's certainly worth cheering that. I, I, ne- I never really know whether my life is 
quite glamorous or a mess. And yeah. so I, I had my 40th birthday party at a street food event in East London. I took over a street food event, okay. which obviously at 40, you're too old to do. Um, and I, I left so late. I got out there. It was, I looked at my watch. It was 6.20 in the morning. And I thought, I'm, and I was a mess. And I've got two kids. And I thought, if I go home now... They'll be getting up when I come in. And so I thought I decided that I'd left too late to go home. So I just went and checked into the ground show. <laughs> and then there were no trains home this morning. So I've just been hanging around Leicester Square waiting for this podcast all day. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm, your life I'm is drinking. a mess. Yeah, life is like a mess. <laughs> it's sort of showbiz and then not show, and the, then you come here. Yeah. And and the last it. day of your thirties. That's. I mean, it could be that could be true of any of my guests in the thirties if I murdered them during the podcast. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going to murder you during the podcast. <laughs> that would be a good hundredth episode, wouldn't it? Yeah. Be exciting. A lot of hits on That'd YouTube. Get viewers. Yeah. yeah. Get, get viewers. Uh, are you are you worried about turning forty? Well, I thought I'd ask you about it. Um, uh, it's, I'm nearly through. I'm nearly fucking through. The it was a while ago. It was. Well, I did a show called Oh Fucking Forty. It was a big. I was. I found it a big deal turning forty, and I was very upset about it. Um, but now I can't believe. You know, I really now I'm just thinking of myself as fifty now because I'm practic- I'm an only. Yeah, I'm a year and a half away. But it just. I. I always do. I, I do that, so I'm ready for the next birthday. I always just imagine I'm the next age up anyway, but this time I've done two just because I feel... So I feel like I'm in my 50s. So why were you anxious about turning 40? Because, you know, I've, li- I've made... Like you, Richard, I've made a living from uh, being a youthful, puerile idiot. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I wondered whether Thank that could continue. <laughs> That's my pleasure. I wondered if I could continue into my 40s. As it turned out, I could. <laughs> so it was fine. Uh, but uh, I think it was... You know, I wasn't married. I didn't have a family. And I was, you know, I was... I was a little bit lost and wondering where my career was going. So I think there was all mm. those kind of things in, in the mix as well. I, um, I, I'm not anxious about it. I, I, what I remember, I, very, I remember my dad turning 40. And I remember he had a party. I mean, we all, my whole family are chaotic and a mess. And um, we all kind of drink a lot. Um, and he had an out-of-control... I had quite an out-of-control party last night. He had one as well and at, at our house in Mansfield in Nottinghamshire. And the police came and they shut it down and we're all really proud. <laughs> Uh, but I remember I was 13, and when you're 13 and your dad turns 40, you think, he looks really old. Yeah. And so I remember thinking, uh, when I was 13, he looked really old. And recently I thought to myself, well, he probably didn't look old. It's just the perspective of a 13-year-old. Mm. And then I found the family video of his 40th, <laughs> and he looked really old. Yeah. <laughs> and I've taken some solace from the fact that I don't look as old as my dad did when he turned 40. Uh, but I think, you know, but in the old days, like when I was young, if someone who was 40 or 50, they were like, probably, yeah. guys would be 40 and put slippers on and a cap and sit in the chair and waiting for death. You know, there was, yeah. it was like, <laughs> it was properly old. Once you were 50, it was like, that was, you could viably just sit in the pub in your slippers. Uh-huh. So, well, uh, I'm always surprised by my failure to kind of moderate my behaviour as I get older. Yeah. Like, I don't really change at all. Um, I remember... <laughs> Uh, Emma Freud, who presents... Um, what's that show on Radio 4? Loose Ends. She's on presents Loose Ends. Mm-hmm. And she read the, that very trivial book that I wrote. And she said to me, her main observation was, she said, you just don't learn from your mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really smart observation. Well, I've re- I enjoyed and your I, book. I've read yeah. your book. I read it very quickly. It's not that long. Uh, <laughs> it £9.99 on Kindle. I think that's uh, over-expensive. But I, think I, I literally got it. Because, you know, they give you an advance, right, when you write <laughs> yeah. a book. And they, they give you the word count. I think I, I, think I, I was like... Three over. Like, I just basically wrote ex- as few as I possibly could. It really doesn't read like that, Richard. It doesn't, it doesn't read when you're going, oh, I mentioned him in chapter one, I can't remember if I gave his name or not. 
I'm not going to look back and find out <laughs> that would take extra time. It's a very entertaining book, though. It is very good. I can't remember where I was going with this now. Now I've been distracted from it. But uh, it, well, no, I would simply go and say that I don't moderate my behaviour. That yeah. I, you know, so I, I even even though I've had kids, I've got like you know two and a four year old, and most people when they have kids, they change and they don't yeah. go out as much and they get in earlier and they. Oh, I, I've, I just haven't changed. Well, in any your life is a way. series of apologies. It seems. <laughs> that's you know that's. <laughs> which is great. Yeah, that's so you don't learn. But then I think like a lot of the things uh, that have happened to you have, don't seem to be... Well, from your book, at least, don't seem to be directly your fault. Well... I think, I think a lot of kind of things... There's been misunderstandings and... There have, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, some things have definitely been my fault. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you can think of one. Um, <laughs> Uh, and but even the, that isn't. I mean, we're not going to talk about it at length. No, but I think fine, no, well, I don't want to. Everyone knows that story. You know, you know what I'm talking about. So I don't even. Need, that's how everyone knows that story. Uh, but it's, what was interesting about that story? And you, you sort of touch on it in the book. But basically, you were done over by a friend in that. So you went out with a friend and yeah. had a night out yeah. and had some drugs and, and stayed out all night. And then he sold the story to the. To the news of the world. So yeah, yeah he was an, uh, a friend. Um, you know, we're not still friends. No. Um, <laughs> But he sold the story to the News of the World and the News of the World said to him, well, you need evidence because we'd been out. I think we'd done two grams of coke. And yeah. he said, you need... Because uh, we're not on the BBC here. I could just be <laughs> a bit more blunt, can't can. I? Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, so two grams of coke. And he, they said, well, we need evidence. And he spoke to Max Clifford as well. Right. And, uh, <laughs> rest in peace. Um, uh, uh, and Max Clifford said, well, record the phone call. So my friend called me, and my friend was recording. It's sort of like a forerunner to phone hacking. Yeah. Sort of the embryonic stages <laughs> of phone hacking. But he recorded the phone call, and he said, so I'd rehearse. He'd say, that was a big night, wasn't it? Where did we go again? How much coke did we do? And I'd rehearse all the details. And I remember the worst bit was the line where I said, I'm still sniffing now. And that was like one of the, you know, get those sub-headlines in yeah. the paper. And it was just a bit grotty. Yeah. But then he got 20 grand for that. Yeah. It's not very much, is it? No, I mean, it was 98. Was it a lot then? I don't know. Not, I mean, not to betray your... I, mean, I don't know how good friends you were. No, but that's... No, no. I mean, again, like, when these... I mean, I think what's interesting about that story, and I think possibly why your career almost blossomed after it, really, is rather than, yeah. rather than it being the end of your career... Is well, it got me onto The Big Breakfast, which was yeah. a, uh, never well, a problem. Every, everyone felt it was unfair at the time because it's like, you know, why pick on one person taking cocaine in show business and aren't all the journalists taking cocaine? Yeah, so, and isn't Max Clifford having sex with children? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know, but so once you get, but it's, it sort of felt so unfair. But then that's so. But so it's 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 weird. The irony of some of the details of his phone calls coming out. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember the details of his phone calls coming out, where he'd pretend to be someone else? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. I mean, obviously, there was a degree of hypocrisy in that lots of journalists take drugs. Um, yeah. But I never well, and everyone, felt... You know, why pick on one person in show? I, mean, I, I was talking to uh, last get... week's guest, Carrie, yeah. about it. And she, uh, last week, I was so excited about you coming on last week, I was still talking about it. And, um, <laughs> and you know, she was saying if it happened now, she didn't think it would even cause a, an issue, which I'm not sure if, if a Blue Peter presenter was, was caught taking drugs, I think it might do, but, yeah, I, but I'm not sure, because I think it, it felt like a, maybe felt like a bigger deal at that time, it meant people hadn't been, hadn't, yeah. you know, but now it feels like most people... Well, I think what I've done is I've lessened the impact for other people, yeah. in a way. <laughs> 
So I have enabled future Kids TV presenters yeah. to take drugs <laughs> with impunity. Yeah. And let that be my legacy. <laughs> it's, it's a good legacy. <laughs> I don't know, I've, I've, I've done, I sort of find that fascinating, that betrayal, and that betrayal for a relatively a small amount of money. And then, you know, if he'd come to you and said, will you give me 21 grand not to tell the news of the world about this? You know, you might have done, you might have said, okay. He must have been uh, jealous, I guess. You know, we'd come down from Nottinghamshire together, and I was, you know, presenting Blue Peter, which yeah. was a big thing, and I think it was je- jealousy maybe more than money to him. Right. But although there was that hypocrisy of, well, journalists obviously take drugs, for me, it was pretty straightforward. I thought it was reasonable, you know, that they had to sack me. I'd been caught. You know, I, I remember yeah. going, they called me into a meeting with the head of Children's BBC, uh, and she said, come to my office. So it was Sunday, paper comes out Sunday, midday Sunday, come to my office. And I remember standing outside the lift, and because I got there first, she came out, and she came out with the head of HR who was holding my contracts. Yeah. And you're like, I'm, right, I think I know where this is going. <laughs> And then I sat down in the office with him and I just said, look, let's not waste any time here. I have to go. Yeah. So I, I you know, you know when you've got to go sometimes. Yeah. Because two, you know, I don't know much about cocaine. So when he said two grams, that doesn't sound very much to me. That's like, <laughs> I'm thinking of in terms of pick and mix. That would, that's not, that's hardly anything, right? So it, it seems an overreaction. Two grams, that's nothing. <laughs> I uh, think weighs everything, doesn't it? Two grams. The headline, no, the headline was uh, Blue Peter presenters. 12-hour vodka and cocaine binge. Yeah. And it was a rare example of tabloid understatement because actually it was... <laughs> it was nearer 20 hours, Richard. <laughs> but that, I mean, it sort of took a bit of a chance having you on Blue Peter, or don't you think? I mean, you'd, yeah, come, I think so. you'd come from kind of quite... You from, know, you come from live TV yeah. and it quite boisey, laddish sort of throwing... Was it Damon Alban threw beer on you or you threw beer on him? Or? Yeah, yeah, he threw it on me and yeah. I chased him down the street. I got involved yeah. in lots of stunts. We talked earlier yeah. about getting banned from Parliament. Yeah. I think they did. They acknowledged that they took a risk on me and some risks, Richard, don't pay off. <laughs> <laughs> you know, inherent in taking a risk. It might not work out. Uh, and so I was replaced by a guy who was the uh, son of a vicar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But most of them, you know, a lot of comedians are sons of vicars and yeah. sons of headmasters, so it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's fine. No, you should try and get a job on Blue Peter, I Richard. I would yeah. like, would be very nice. I'd like to be on, I mean, no, there's a lot of nice uh, Blue Peter, I, I love Janet Ellis, so I'd have loved, if I could travel back through time mm. and be, I'd, I'd actually go on Jigsaw rather than Blue Peter. Right. If I could, if that was a power I had. Yeah. I would go back to that. Uh, Janet Ellis was my favourite, but she was also mired in controversy. She was, you took the heat off her a little bit because she got pregnant while she was she got unmarried. Pregnant. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, she got Is pregnant. that worse than taking cocaine or better than I taking think so. <laughs> I certainly think so. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cocaine if I, uh, I'm, uh, means you can't have sex often, doesn't it? Because it makes you... Uh, it makes you uh, unable to get an erection after a while, so if you take that, enough of it, as I understand it. <laughs> so, um, well, I can confirm that's definitely true. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> See, I'm very free now yes. to admit that I've taken drugs, whereas yeah. no one else really likes saying it publicly, yeah. do they? It's liberating. It is liberating. Well, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, people should just be honest about it. I mean, there were, there were, there were worse things going on in children's television. And let's, let's just say... Let's just say so you, well, I'm quite, I'm, you are from Mansfield. What I like about your book, you're fascinated with one of the same things as I am fascinated with, which is uh, the tales of Robin Hood in Nottingham. Oh yeah, which uh, was my always my favourite. We used to go every tour and go and go around the town. It's, it's no longer there, sadly now. 
But what we liked about it was as you went in, it was quite bad. It was like, a, you give me a fact that I didn't know about it in your book, which is quite interesting. Uh, you maybe can relate if you can remember it. But uh, it's like a, a little train ride around uh, some bad shop windows of, shop window dummies of uh, the Sheriff of Nottingham. Uh, but at the start, in the first room, there's a voiceover and it goes, you are about to leave behind your humdrum lives. <laughs> and I, I always felt that that was making an assumption about my life. <laughs> That they, that I don't think they can make in a voiceover. I think my life is better than the tales of Robin Hood. I think I was about to go into a slightly more humdrum thing and then go back to my yeah, yeah, more yeah. interesting life. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> but but I was very, it's a Tesco's now. It's a Tesco's now. Yeah. It's gone. It's really sad. Yeah. Um, and these are the carriage that carried people round. Yeah. Uh, it, they'd got it from an abattoir. That's they bought it second hand yeah. from an abattoir, yeah. didn't they? And so it was these carriages that used to carry animals to their deaths were now carrying you <laughs> into a more or less humdrum life, depending on your perspective. Because there's one in York that's quite good, a medieval one. It's all they, they have the smells of the time, don't they? And that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. So that fact, by the way, that bit in my book, that was when I attempted a very bad. I did. I tried stand up, uh, and it was terrible. And I did it once. It's such a bad idea. And the night before I did it, I interviewed you. You did, I, yeah. I was on Radio 5 Live. I had a show there. You came on the night before. I interviewed you in the Pleasance Courtyard. And you said, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> Stand-up's really hard and you shouldn't do it. <laughs> and I was correct. But <laughs> it happens a lot where a journalist, this happens all the time. Like it's usually in print journalists will yeah, go, I, I had a crack at doing stand-up. And then, A, sometimes it just goes well the first time. Because you're, you're quite geared up and you've only got to do five minutes and often depends on what gig you choose to do. You chose a ridiculous time to do a gig, which was at the end yeah. of a Reg D Hunter. He'd already done 90 minutes, hadn't he? Yeah, or yeah. Now. And quite a big venue. It was the yeah, other big, belly, like it? an 800-seater venue of people who hadn't come to see you had already seen the show they wanted to see. They were drunk. Apparently not enjoyed it all that much anyway. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and then you come on and do... You meant to do five and you did 13. And, and I'm sure <laughs> I'd have given you the advice, learn what you're doing and don't do anything else and don't ad-lib and do the jokes and fuck off. And, I, and it was live on the radio, so you had all those sort of annoying restrictions of being live on BBC Radio. I mean, it was flawed in so many ways. And it was kind of overwhelming. And then my memory started, so I just lost what was going on. And yeah. it, was, yeah, it was awful. Um, and then but what was good about the radio show was we then, I went, came off stage. Thank you, good night. I didn't do a mic drop. Right, I walked off stage. There was some polite applause. Went back to my little studio and we did a phone-in, which was, how did you think it went? <laughs> uh, the answer was... Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was brave to do that. <laughs> you see, I thought when I interviewed you, I remember now that the night before, when I interviewed you in the yeah. Pleasance Courtyard, I thought you seemed a bit annoyed that I was even attempting it. Like, it because it is hard stand-up and it is a craft and you have to practice it. And I think, I think you were, you were, you, were you annoyed? I don't think I was annoyed. I th- I, it, it sort of does. I don't think I'm annoyed at you having to go because you're funny and I think that's kind of an interesting thing to do. I, don't think, I find it, I've done it slightly insulting that people think it would be that yeah. easy. So that, that often happens. But, you know, and I think, but I think that of all those talent shows on TV as well, they would never do, uh, do you want to be a TV executive s- superstar thing, would they, where you come on and choose the TV, because they go, oh, no, that's a very hard job to, mm. to do that. But, oh, yeah, do you want to be a singer? Yeah, go and have a go yeah, and see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go and have a crack and then do it. And so I think, I think any of those things that sort of... I think it's stupid, because you're cutting... You're cutting I think with the X Factor and stuff, you're, you should be building up to becoming a singer, which I think many of them are anyway, and then they, they're picked out of a, a group, aren't they? But, you know, to just try and get instant success, which I know isn't what you were trying to do. No, 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 not at all. I, but I was, and also why I felt slightly sad that I thought you were annoyed with me is because I thought you were annoyed because you thought 
maybe I think stand-up is easy. And actually, even before that experience, I had a lot of respect for stand-up. And I'm aware that it's, it's a hard job. Yeah. It's just a hard job, stand-up. I don't think... I just thought you would definitely, would definitely go badly. But I can't, I can't really remember the interview, so I think that's all. I can remember being in the present court. I can't remember what I said, but I, you know, I thought you were stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that's what your whole life... That's what your life... Is. <laughs> <laughs> but, so you worked in McDonald's in Mansfield? Yeah. Then you were a youngster before uh, Yeah, yeah, I worked in McDonald's in Mansfield. And um, that was where my girlfriend dumped me at McDonald's in Mansfield. I was serving on the till. And it was quite callous. I mean, she came down and she actually let me start the order. So I think, one, why don't you wait till I'm off shift? But she queued up, gets to the front... <laughs> Started the order, which I don't say she'd like uh, fries and a milkshake. And then she said, oh, listen, by the way, I've been thinking, I don't think it's working out. I was like, I'm sorry, you what? She said, no, I just don't think it's working out. I think we should um, call it a day. And I'm and like, so do you, want, do you still want these fries? And then I sort of gave her the food and she paid. And, uh, and I went into the back room and cried my eyes out. I sat on a box of gherkins. <laughs> Or as McDonald's calls them pickles, and and cried. It was considerate of you because they're quite salty anyway, so that would, that would it would not <laughs> would not affect the taste of the burgers. That is. In Man- Mansfield is um, quite a rough town, um, yeah, which has been quite good for our family because my dad's a criminal defence lawyer. Um, but it, there's um, a lot of crime. <laughs> um, uh, you would often have to go to court as a witness when you worked at McDonald's in Mansfield yeah. because people would just have fights. And I did take someone's order. This is not an exaggeration. They were having, a guy was having a fight with another guy and he'd got the other chap in a headlock and he was banging his head against the counter in front of me whilst trying to give me an order. And did the guy who was having his head banged against it uh, try and give an order as well? <laughs> I don't like strawberry milkshake! <laughs> Um, I'm going to give you an emergency question that I've changed especially for you. I've made it slightly different. Um, would you rather have a hand made out of bacon? <laughs> or a cock made out of herring? <laughs> and when I say that, the, the cock will actually be a living herring. <laughs> the, tail, the tail will be... Above the, you'll still have testicles, but there will be, the tail will be here. Yeah. And then it'll just be a big flapping. I mean, it'll be big. It's a big fish, the herring, flapping around. Or you can have a hand made of bacon. You can eat bacon, and it'll grow back. And you can eat bacon any time. Or you can have a cock that is a live herring. Right. And then you know, I would think that would have some advantages. Well, just, you know, thrashing. It'd be quite exciting for to make love with someone with that, wouldn't it? They would, they would enjoy the experience. Well, I would imagine. I'm not, I'm not a woman, but I'd imagine that would be <laughs> thrashing around. There is a very clear answer to this, which yeah. is you, you, you'd have the hand made of bacon yeah. because uh, herring is a, a very particular taste. You know, yeah. most people don't like herring. Whether it's a live herring, a pickled herring, a grilled herring, I don't think really you get much oral sex with no, that. That's the that's point. It's a lie, it's a raw herring. That's true. I mean, the uh, chan- Maybe from some um, Icelandic and <laughs> no, Scandinavian no. people would enjoy that. Yes, but that's true. But if what you're saying is, if you like oral sex, and most people yeah. do, why would you want to only limit the possibility of oral sex to a handful of Icelandic people? <laughs> well, that's true. So it's a handmade of bacon. Yeah. Be nice, it'd be good, wouldn't it, having a handmade of bacon? 
But bacon is delicious. It is. <laughs> and then you'd be able to, also, you'd be able to go, I'm, hi, I'm Richard Bacon, and you could wave. <laughs> and that would be like your gimmick. <laughs> People would remember you because of the bacon thing. Well, there was ever a problem at school that you, you were called... You should have worked at live TV. That's okay, the sort of idea they commission. <laughs> <laughs> was ever a problem at school for you being called Dick Bacon? Uh... <laughs> No, you would have thought so. Yeah, because well, I, I, I would have thought Dick Herring would have the same. We should do a double act. We could call it the Two Richards. Yeah, that's quite good. <laughs> or Herring and Herring and Bacon. I think that's all right. It's like a nice. It's like well, a, we just put a whole band together of people who's got food as a surname, yeah. right? We could have a massive like Annika Rice. We'll yeah. get it in there, and I can't think of anyone else. Tim Curry. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Simon Arctic Roll. <laughs> <laughs> he would be good. Can you breathe out of your eye? Can you really breathe yeah. out of your eye? Yeah, yeah, I can try it now. I mean, Let's I, do it. Let me just I'm have to clear my eye. I'm, I remember oh, sorry, I, I didn't give you any warning about this to prep. I didn't know there would be I've not showered today okay, because yeah. I got to bed at 7 I know, you don't need to tell me. I can smell that herring penis a mile off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is working. I don't know whether you'll be able to hear it. Let's try okay. it. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, at last, we've uncovered his talents. <laughs> Are you at, where's the air going into when you do that? Does it, it come comes into, out the corner here. It comes yeah. out the corner. Um, I think it's the same defect as that. Remember the girl who could cry milk on TFI oh, Friday? Yeah, yeah. I think it's basically the same thing. Wow. Um, and when I was at school, I was quite a cheeky kid at school. Yeah. And I discovered it because my friend or my friends make use of the laugh or take the mickey out of the teachers. And I would hold my nose to disguise my laugh. So I thought this was a way to like not laugh out loud. Right. And then this air would shoot out my eye. Wow. Uh, and that in then would attract the teacher's attention. But that's how I discovered it. I've got a squeaky on. One of my eyes squeaks. Let's see if it is. <laughs> but the other eye doesn't. That's actually quite loud. <laughs> I don't, if anyone knows if that's serious... Uh, it's, always, it's always been the. It's, it's really weird, isn't it? It's it's one weird. Of it, my sounds, eyes. it sounds like there's like a moving, a loose metal part <laughs> yeah, in your eye, yeah. which does sound serious. Yeah. Yeah, we'll find out. Look at we that. Eventually. We've got defective eyes and food as surnames. <laughs> we got, you know, got, and we're both called is, Richard. This is working. We've up really to hit it off. <laughs> I do a feature that you featured in quite a lot called uh, Desert Island Dicks. Right. Where you, you have to name the eight Richards you take to a desert island. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite a tortuous process. I mean, it sounds quite long. Do you it does. Yeah. Can you give it a go? You're already there. I'm already there because I'm the luxury rich. Uh, I Richard. take Richard Dawkins. Yeah. Would you? I mean, yeah. I, oh, well, I've got uh, getting. No, I'm not. Because I, I, th- I'm, I'm like the Can backlash you... to the backlash. I think there's a thing now, because we're both atheists and we've talked about being atheists on the radio a lot, but I, I've decided I want to defend Richard Dawkins because there's a thing now, if you're an atheist, the thing you do is you say, I'm an atheist, oh, but that Richard Dawkins. Whereas, te- tell me one thing you disagree with in The God Delusion. There's not I one don't know. Thing. I love his book. I love his. I love his books. I, I, I prefer Stephen Jay Gould, who I think has a more, is more of a human being. Yeah, rather than a strange like, automaton. Yeah, but he's called Stephen, so he can't That's come. That's true, but he can't come. But I don't like it. If you should take him to a desert island, it means he couldn't, wouldn't go on Twitter anymore, which would be good. Because <laughs> I just don't like his Twitter feed. his Twitter's a bit, yeah. a bit weird. But I think that he's had a, a huge impact on the perceptions of faith. And yeah. I, I think he's quite brave, and I quite admire him. I do. I, that's why I just wish he would shut up <laughs> about Islamophobia I, and retweeting his own praise. What did he say last year? I, I interviewed him um, <laughs> on stage at the Cheltenham Science Festival. Oh, yeah. uh, 
And he said, he was talking about, he basically said, you shouldn't really, you can tell your kids about Santa, but you should also introduce some scepticism into yes. it. Which he was quite rational the way he explained it. And I got to see how his life works. And the next day, all the papers went for him with the headlines, first he killed God, <laughs> now he's going after Santa. Yeah. But I remember him saying to me, uh, uh, he, said, he said, look, the thing is, Richard, I know you've got a, a son, uh, Arthur, and my son at this point was three, I think. And he said, so if you take the story of the princess turning into a frog, you know, he said, well, you should, by all means, Richard, read the story to him of the princess turning into a frog. But at the end of it, say to him, it's not impossible that a princess could turn into a frog. Um, it's never been witnessed, uh, and it is thus statistically unlikely <laughs> that it will ever happen. And it well, would take a, probably a trillion years of evolution, backwards <laughs> evolution, <laughs> to get there. Yeah, he's a dick. Uh, so, uh, so he belongs on Desert Island Dicks. Dicks, that's one. Seven to go. This is a torturous it process, torturous. isn't it? Because also, because I went to bed at 7 a.m., I can't even really think of any more I know, Richards. that's what's good Can about it. So, I mean, you think someone called Richard would know, have loads of Richards. I can think uh, of loads, because, so, you know, I've, I'm prepped for this. Do, do they have to be alive? Nope. Richard Dimbleby. Okay. Is that yeah. the father, the, the older... Yeah, David's yeah. father. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first reporter into Belson at the end of the war. I mean, he's an amazing broadcaster, yeah. Richard. Um, and I'm more like Richard May... I'm only saying Richard Mady because he's come into my head. Yeah. That's not... That's not that you can't... You just can't just start naming people called Richard. It's got to be that, the eight Richards you would take to a desert island. That how, has to be reasoning. To be, to be fair, that does seem to me to be the premise of the future. <laughs> because... No one has a capacity to remember more than eight Richards in their head anyway, so all you're going to do is name Richards. Yeah. Well, that, you know, you can play it that way if you want, but it will be against... It's hard, it's hard isn't it? Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> so, uh, I mentioned this in the last podcast, but uh, I enjoyed when you had a polyp on your th uh, oh, yeah. throat. I did, yeah. Uh, and yeah. I enjoyed the fact that someone at the Daily, the Daily Express, A, turned it into a story. Yeah. That you were having, and then you talked about it on your radio show, and a man said on the Daily Express page, "I don't spend more more than 130 pounds a year on a license fee to listen to Richard Bacon prattle on about his ill health," <laughs> which I thought was you know short sighted of him in terms of that isn't all the you could listen to something else on the BBC. It doesn't. It's not. I mean, it'd be quite good if it cost 130 pounds a year for that service. Would yeah. you consider charging 130 pounds to people? per year and then yeah. they can listen to you prattle on about your ill health yeah no. The, yeah, so in his head the entirety of the licence fee <laughs> yeah. has been funnelled into that into that's you a, 90 seconds yeah. where I talked about a polyp which I talked about because my voice sounded weird <laughs> therefore it needed explaining on the radio mm. but that was um, I yeah so a polyp is where you, you sort of rupture a, not quite a blood clot right. but you cause a tear on your vocal cords. Yes. And I got it by singing uh, uh, at a Take That concert. It was Never Forget. Right. Remember Never Forget? It was a New Year at the O2. Uh, ironically, Never. I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, singing, I was singing very loudly and I broke my vocal cord. And, it, and I, I had an operation. And as the um, surgeon was putting me under, and it was, it was, it was just a needle goes in and they go count down from 10. And I said, so it's going to be right. And it, as I was going under, he said, I mean, he said there's about a 20% likelihood you won't be able to speak again. And I was like, they're not that good odds, right? They're not that, I mean, I, all I do for a living is talk. Yeah. That's all I do. Um, and then I had a brief experience, I guess, of what it's like to live with a disability because I couldn't talk for two weeks. I wasn't allowed to talk for two weeks. Yeah. And I carried a sign around with me. And 
people were just kind of misunderstood what it meant. So I went to, I was in Heathrow Airport and I was trying to get into the business lounge and they went, you've got your card. Uh, and I hadn't got my card. My wife had got my card and I couldn't really uh, explain because I couldn't talk. And so I showed her the sign when the sign said, I've just had uh, an operation and therefore I can't talk. And, and she looked at me and she said, have you got your card <laughs> to get into the lounge? <laughs> Um, so it's a brief insight into yeah. uh, how stupid people are. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You do. You live a very showbiz life. You're always going, you know, into airport lounges. <laughs> the Not on that occasion. Club. Okay, you can get in, yeah, because your face isn't your fortune in that case. Then it's when you've been, you've worked like so. You've been. You, when you started on like Light TV was like 1993 yeah, or something. Two? I don't know, six maybe. I maybe, think six yeah, for me. Yeah. yeah, it was the middle, was it? So it was, yeah. So you've been working fairly constantly on TV and radio. Yeah, I mean, I've done more radio. Last 10 yeah. years, I've done mainly radio. Um, I now live in America, and I sort of live between LA and London, and about to live... To, I've taken, I'm taking a job in New York for the next two months, so I'm sort of living between LA, New York, and London. And the How's it going theater. in America? Have you, have you broken America? I've <laughs> broken America. <laughs> I start... I, the first thing I'm doing on air is uh, for ABC... Uh, news, which is a show I'm presenting, which starts a week after next. I mean, I went to LA in January, yeah. and I had uh, two shows to do out there. One of which I had come up with, and it'd been commissioned. Like this is quite an extraordinary thing where you come up with a show and it gets commissioned, and it's in, the format was mine. It was an interview series, but it was my own format. And we're all set to film. It was in New York for American Telly, and my visa got held up at the embassy, and I couldn't get my passport back. And so I had to, five days out, I had to cancel the whole show, which cost a TV production company 200 grand. And there were five crews and the edit suites of books. And it's kind of a, because you know how hard it is to get an idea away. Yeah. The first meeting I had in America, I get an idea away and it's commissioned and it's happening. It will never happen again in my life. <laughs> and I had to cancel the whole thing. The guest, who's a very, very, very famous comedian, yeah. was already in New York. <laughs> They're all there. And so... And I was partly moving there on, the, on that basis. And yeah. then as a second show, I couldn't do for a similar reason. So I had a weird start. And then I've then diverted back here. So I've, I think I've flown back to London nine times this year. So I've been all over the shop. Yeah. Was like you, I, so I was on... You did Steve Wright's show. Was that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I sometimes fill so in for Simon Mayo on the Radio 2 Drive Time show. Yeah. And I, just, I got you on because I like you. Did you fly back especially to do the Simon Mayo show? From, or were you in London anyway at that point? I don't think <laughs> BBC Radio really pays enough. I am not paying to... over £130 a year <laughs> to have you flown over from America <laughs> to do a show. That... <laughs> they could just put an old one out with Simon Mayer, couldn't they? It's yeah. the same every day. <laughs> That's good. It's a good joke. I listen that afternoon because often I'm driving and you know, and sometimes I listen to Steve Wright. Same show every day. I like him a lot. But it's fuck. It's just the same thing. And then Simon Mayo. It's almost exactly the same show. They could. I, I really think they could save some money by just repeating them on a year. <laughs> on a year just make. Oh, it's Easter. Put out the Easter one. His audience yeah. aren't going to know. I mean, it's very difficult for me to comment, Richard, because I quite like filling in there, and I quite like to work for Radio Two in the long term. <laughs> okay. So I'll just let you talk, and I will. I will observe. It's incredible. Steve Wright keeps. It's still got that job, don't it? Well, I mean, that's. There's no getting him out of there, but it's. He's got that for life, hasn't he? Got a lot, of for life. lot of listeners. I know, but it's great. I mean, I like, I listen to him. 
I, li- a- I really like him. I think he's one of the best radio interviewers there is as well. Yeah. Um, but it's just incredible. You know, it's just incredible. That just goes on. It's phenomenal radio turns into how many people listen. Now, Steve Rocher gets like 7 million listeners or something. It's, a, it's an amazing number of people who are listening to a radio at 2 in the afternoon. Mm. Isn't it? It is, but it's the same, exactly the same. <laughs> like, to the, the mu- where the music plays, where the fake cheers come in. Yeah. <laughs> what I like about it is... The... Again, I'm, ju- I'm, just, I'm just observing, <laughs> I'm not commenting. I listen to it, I'm just fascinated by it, but I, I really like Steve Wright. But fucking hell, he's lucky. <laughs> what a lucky bastard. Uh, did you keep the uh, Blue Peter annual that got pulped after you were sacked from the show? Because that's worth a lot of money now. Yeah, uh, n- n- I've got one somewhere, I think. Okay. Uh, uh, when you um, get sacked from Blue Peter, it's a bit like uh, losing your job with the LAPD because you have to <laughs> hand in your badge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a really sad moment. Um, <laughs> And uh, I don't think I did keep the ending, but they did pulp it because it turned out it had when you, some of the like the headlines sounded like they could be puns for taking drugs. <laughs> there was one about snow. There was yeah. like there was a chapter called "Racing the Dragon," and that yeah. was you know they had to get rid of it. I saw some people on Facebook discussing Blue Peter annuals, and that they said that they're all quite common apart from that one. So that one is worth. If you've so got it one, is really if you've got one, they're all pulped. So you know if you've got one, if you could sign it as well, it's probably going to be worth even more. Ah. You could sign it with some cocaine. Would, <laughs> <laughs> you could burn some cocaine onto it, onto the front cover. Um, you're both quite candid about the fact you wrote the uh, film reviews for the Sunday People, but you didn't write, ever go and see the films or write the, write yeah, the reviews yourself. I, uh, what, so, yeah, in, that, in my book, <laughs> I, did, I did talk about that, which I thought was brave in a way, because I thought yeah. maybe people will, th- will think I've not written the book if I'm writing about not writing my newspaper yeah. column. But... Um, I did write the book, but the people column. So the the the, pe- the people is a Sunday newspaper. Um, uh, I've no idea if it's still going. Um, and I had the film column in there. And when I got the job, I thought, Easy, you can you can imagine thinking, oh, that's quite an exciting job. You know, you see three films a week, and then you just write essays about them, and that sounds like a lovely job. And so I did it. For, and after about three weeks, I actually going to a screening at two in the afternoon to watch. Most films are terrible. It turns out that most films are terrible. terrible. Anyway, when you get the job, you make the mistake of thinking every film is Spectre, right? (laughs) But actually, a lot of them are about a dog coming down from space or something. You know, they're just nonsense. And so I I would go see the film and write the column for three weeks. Then on the third week, I got my friends to go and see the films. And then we'd, like, sit and write the films together. And I got bored of that. And so I just got him to go to the cinema and write the column. Then he got bored of going to the... Cinema as well. <laughs> so he used to sort of write them from having read some other stuff on the internet. And then, and then not only did I not write my film column, I didn't read it either. <laughs> and I, I remember walking through Soho and a director came up to me. And he said, I'm a director. And he, he made a film. It was called something like Bike Ride to Brighton or something. I mean, this is what I mean about not every film is Spectre. And he came up to me and he was really upset. And he just said, why didn't you like my film? And I said, ah, we'll film again. <laughs> and I said, oh, uh, it was, you have to remind me, it was too short, too long. Too... Um, and there was another time when I was sitting outside a restaurant somewhere near Soho, and I, as a, there was a film PR I recognised. And I said, oh, why are you here? And she said, oh, downstairs in the private room beneath where we are, Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock are in there, they're having a party. Um, they've got a new film out. I think it was called Lake House, The Lake House. You yeah. said it's a party for The Lake House. 
And I said, oh, right, I quite like to go to that party. Um, um, you know, is it, um, is it a good film? Uh, and it, this was on Monday. <laughs> and she said, oh, you wrote about it yesterday, Richard. And then she said, <laughs> then she said would you like to know what you thought about it? <laughs> and I said, yeah, might as well. Tell me. Caught red-handed, and she said, you didn't like it very much. <laughs> and no, you're not going to the party. <laughs> it, 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 you're quite, there's quite a chancerous element to chancery. Chance, you're quite a chancer, is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's quite, it's, that's, I mean there, there is this element with show business of that. Obviously, it's a, there's fakery within all elements of show business and journalism. And, mm. But, you know, you presume you're still taking some of the money for the, for, between... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So well, you, could, you could potentially make a good living not doing anything. You could be sitting back <laughs> on the bacon brand. <laughs> I, I very much doubt. I mean, if I did a column again, I would write it. I'd just very bored of writing about films. But I suspect there are some columnists out there who have their columns written, don't you? Well, I you? think my um, friend uh, Emma Kennedy, who many of you are aware of, used to do film reviews, and she... I, I don't think it was you, either. She said there was someone quite famous who didn't, never went to the screenings, who was never at the screenings. Never at the screenings, And, no. they, and they never wrote their own thing. I think quite a few of the... You know when they get famous footballers to do columns? Yeah. I, you know, I'm not well, sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure that they're writing any of those. They probably call them, don't they? Someone yeah. calls them from the news desk, what do you think to this? And then puts a phone, a one-minute yeah. phone call, and then they... Well, that, well Danny Dyer got into trouble, I think, didn't he? For, he, did a, he did a column in a newspaper, like it was an, an Agony Aunt kind of column in one of the ma- magazines. Yeah. And then one of them turned out to be something about basically beat up your girlfriend. He was, yes, I remember that. And then it, he probably hadn't written that himself or read it himself. Yeah. And so that's, where, that's the danger. Just be careful if you do it again. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get caught out. Um, how's Una Stubbs to work with? Did you have a nice time? Oh, yeah, I presented an art show. Uh, <laughs> She's lovely, you yeah. stuff. She's um, she's like a seventy-six-year-old Shoreditch hipster. Right. You know, she just dresses brilliantly. She's lovely and cool. I got around, so we co-presented a show um, in which uh, ten people. So there's two judges, ten people, and they paint, and uh, one gets eliminated every week. And at the end of it, um, someone wins. And um, it's it's the Bake Off, right? Basically, yeah. <laughs> we just didn't say it like that. I didn't explain it like that at the time, but. Um, yeah, she came around to my house and we had dinner before we shot it and then I deliberately put on that episode of Faulty Towers that she's in. <laughs> Do you remember the one? It's the one yeah. where Sybil is ill in bed. Um, and so I find it quite... To me, I find you and stuff really yeah. quite iconic. She was in Wurzel Gummidge. Yeah, I know. Don't you find anyone who was in Faulty Towers is quite exciting to me. Yeah. I you were there. Oh my God, you were in the room when the, that happened, that thing happened. Yeah. And when it John is Cleese exciting. Th- Most of them are dead now. Oh. It's terrible. It's, that's what I think about all the time, unfortunately. Uh, are you ever confused with the English Tory politician Richard Bacon? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a the South Norfolk MP, yeah. uh, Richard Bacon. Yeah. I wonder if he ever gets confused for me. I wonder if they ever don't let him into the exactly, House of Commons. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> it's dragged away by the parliamentary police. Um, I do get a lot. I mean, sometimes I get his mail. So yeah, <laughs> South Norfolk MP, and I get his mail, and occasionally I write back. Right. <laughs> it is, you know, it's a fascinating insight into the world of being an MP because it is, you know, people writing about how their pipes are leaking from their house. I mean, I think that is the reality yeah. of being a backbench MP. <laughs> I used to want to be an MP. Did you? Yeah, I did. Um, and I'm quite glad that in the instead of being an MP and dealing with people's leaky pipes, I'm just yeah. arsing around. I mean, that's my my career does feel like 
Essentially, I just mess around the whole time. You know, it's, I mean, you've done lots of great things. No, I have. Well, I've done some quite good things, and yeah. I've done some nonsense. You know, yeah. but yeah. it's good. It's good to be. That's good. No, that's not a bad thing. But it's sort of. It, it's. I think people. It's sort of interesting because I think there's this level of there's a level of really famous people in showbiz who you assume are billionaires and millionaires, yeah. and then there's a level of people in showbiz who you wouldn't think were millionaires. But I know how much you paid for your house in 2002 because it's in your book. <laughs> so I know. Oh, it's worth a lot more than that now, Richard. <laughs> yeah, so you've, uh, yeah, that's what I mean. I know. I, yeah. I was looking in Chiswick in 2002, so I know how expensive that house was. <laughs> Belsize Park. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, so what was what your point that I'm relatively you're, wealthy? You're was doing, that, was you're that doing that really well, aren't you? I, I mean, am, yeah. Yeah, well, you've worked constantly for all that time, I yeah. suppose. So that there's, you know, it's kind of interesting, I think, that's all. So just yeah. think, I'm just interested. Well, Are you ever but... confused with HMS Richard Bacon? The ship. <laughs> Is there a ship called HMS yeah, Richard can, Bacon? How can you not know that? How could I not know that? I'd take my son. If I had a son and there was a ship named after me, I would take my son to that ship and go, that is my ship. <laughs> Let's go in there any time. Are you ever mistaken for Richard Mackenzie Bacon, the English Whig uh, journalist and musician from the 18th century? No, but I love the fact that you've done this research. <laughs> yeah. I typed Richard Bacon into Google. Um, into Wikipedia, it's not into even Wikipedia, that. okay, thanks. It's, it's quite moving. Yeah. You know... <laughs> And quite boring. There's another one. There was another one I didn't, but I didn't bother writing it down. <laughs> Tell us about plate spinning Bob. That's a good story. Well, that, yeah, that was on the Big Breakfast. That was. Uh, God, I used to love working on the Big Breakfast. I so I got sacked from Blue Peter. Got that job, um, and I was my main job on the Big Breakfast <coughs> was I was out on the road. So I think the jobs I've done well and jobs I haven't done well. I think I was good at that one. That was going around the country, knocking on doors, live in the morning. Uh, 7am or about 10 past 7 would be the first hit as we called it and a lot of it I did streaky bacon and we'd often be on council estates and (laughs) and and I'd knock on the door and I'd say do you want to in an hour 10 past 8 in the morning do you want to streak down your own street we'll get all your neighbours out and if you do it you stream (laughs) you run down naked your uh, private parts are covered by a plastic bit of bacon. And if you're willing to do it, you will win your own body weight in bacon. Everyone said yes. <laughs> Everyone said yes. Uh, and then... <laughs> your body weight in bacon looks revolting. And, yeah. you'd, and then what would happen is we'd pack up and, they'd, uh, and we'd get like the local mayor to hand it over and they'd win. And then, you know, show's over at nine o'clock. And we'd have to give them their weight in bacon. And it turned out they'd all have, like, these tiny freezers. And we'd have to go into the house, and they'd have no way of storing all of this disgusting raw meat. Not organic meat, just cheap rubbish. Um, And Plate Spinning Bob was a guy um, who... He was on my very first outside broadcast for The Big Breakfast. And he turned out it was a big day for me, because I'd I'd been sacked, got it, you know... He very much wanted to go well, and Johnny Vaughan was the presenter at the time, who I, I really admire and was a mentor to me. But he made snap decisions. And so your first outside broadcast is, well, if he doesn't like me, I'm gone, right? So you're very anxious. And we'd booked a plate spinner for a feature called, I imagine it was called Bringing Home the Bacon. Yeah. Um, <coughs> and it was, I'd knock on the door, and we, for some reason, we took this plate spinner to someone's house. And so we booked him from Liverpool, and he turned up at 6 a.m. We're on air at 7. And he turned up, and he's called Bob, said, Hi, Bob, really excited, my first day, let's do this. And then he'd, um, 
he opened the boot of his car and he said, oh, he said, oh, I've forgotten my plates. <laughs> and I was like, it's like sort of an aid memoir built into your job title. I mean, he's plate spinning Bob. So he... I mean, it's only all we've got to bring are sticks and fucking plates, right? <laughs> he brought the sticks. So I thought, well, I, I can't, it's my first OB and I don't, I don't want Johnny to not like me and I've just got to go well. So I knocked on a different door because we couldn't knock on the door where they surprise people. No. And I said, oh, this is a really weird question. I know it's six in the morning, I've got you out of bed. I'm about to go and surprise those people for television and a plate's been a son of a going to Can I, is there any chance that I could use your plates? And so they gave us their plates <laughs> from their kitchen. And I gave them to Bob and then Bob said, oh, what the problem is, it turns out you can't just put any plates on the sticks when you plate spin. They have to have a little indentation. So we then had to borrow someone's drill and we put these indentations in the bottom of the plates. And then we did the feature and every single... Because they were just the wrong plates for his sticks. <laughs> and they all just fell off. One by one by one. They all just fell off and smashed. And it was brilliant because it was a disaster. Um, and so we had this idea, which is we'd take him to Vegas. And... <laughs> And I called up the Circus circus Hotel in Vegas and I lied and I said, we've got this plate spinner in, in Britain and he is sensational. Um, and he's a huge hit on breakfast telly and you have to book him. So I got him the main stage at Circus Circus <laughs> for like a thousand people and we filmed it and I went on and introduced him. And oh, we can swear on here. Do you know what I mean? The producer was a bit cunt-like. Is he, This time he didn't forget his plates but he couldn't bring them on the plane because they were too heavy. So we went and bought the plates from him and we got that and we deliberately bought really heavy plates. Um, anyway, it was, it, was a, it was another disaster. And for that reason, it was brilliant. <laughs> Is he all right now? Has he recovered from this? Did he enjoy I himself? I shouldn't have admitted that thing about buying the heavy plates. It's way, although it has weighed heavy on my mind for Has a it? while. You're very good at getting these confessions I out am, of people, yeah. Richard. I am, yeah, that, yeah. One, that one's going to rank up there. Expect <laughs> <laughs> that'll be on the Australian news tomorrow. <laughs> I'll ask you an emergency question. If you had to go on holiday with one of the puppets from the Spitting Image show, um, but which, which puppet would you choose? Bear in mind that the puppet chooses the holiday destination. You don't have no choice over that. And also the puppeteer and the voiceover artist would come to operate it and make it speak, but you would never be able to interact with them as people. Well, this requires a level of knowledge of being image I don't really have, because okay. I, I would need to know who did the voices of each... You well, know, yeah, so I need to think about it properly. I need to give you a serious and a yeah. thoughtful answer. Um, I, need, I need to give it the answer it deserves, Richard. Do you want to come back next week? Yeah, let's come back next week, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the Roy Hattersley puppet was funny. Yeah. Well, would it be funny for a week, though? About, <laughs> like, you're a week and... <laughs> I'll give you... A... I'm going to water. <laughs> you still enjoying it? I think you're... I think you are belittling the Impressionist's art there, Richard. <laughs> it's a craft. <laughs> I'm Roy Hatsley. <laughs> no one knows what I sound like. Is Spitting Image funny if you go back and watch it? Um, I never, I, you know, I wrote for Spitting Image. I did write back two sketches. For I didn't think it was as good as everyone <laughs> no. went made out. I thought it sort of started... There were some controversies, weren't they, early on? They did, like, um, the Queen Mother as Beryl Reed, didn't they? Yeah. And then that was, like, oh! Which is amazing. When you think about it, that's incredible that there was a point where the press would have gone crazy about someone doing a 
quite nice, gentle parody of the Queen Mother. Um, but that was that was a big moment. There was definitely brilliant things in Spitting Image, but it all comes back. It's one of those things. It's the Del Boy falling through the. Yeah, oh, it comes back. It's the uh, what are the what about the vegetables? They'll have the same as me, isn't it? That's what it boils down to. But I think the uh, the, the portrayal of John Major with his, with Norma and yeah. being pushing the peas around the plate and being really great. I think that had an impact on how he was perceived so they no, yeah. sort of came lifted out of comedy wasn't it yeah. and actually framed how the public saw him well I think Ma- Margaret Thatcher herself was well, I think she became looked strong through that through those puppets I think it was difficult for me because I was to- I was like writing a lot of topical uh, comedy at the time as I started my career yeah. and uh, I didn't have much respect for it as an art form because it's quite uh, formulaic do you mean that generally for writing top order comedy? Um, no, not entirely. But a lot of those sketches were quite. Were, you know, we'd write for Week Ending, and which was a wor- lot worse than Spitting Image. I think Spitting Image had lots of good things in it, um, but it was you'd, you know people would go back and basically the same writers would write the same. You'd have you know I wrote on Week Ending for a year and a half, and you'd be able to within six months you'd be able to pitch the same sketch with a different main person in it or right. just slightly you know it was it was it got a bit formulaic. So but in summary, Spitting, Spitting Image a bit shit. What about hold on. <laughs> got no water. Got no water. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's. You know, it's. It's, it's weird. There's lots of comedy things that are of their time, and I think maybe comedy should be of its time. There are things that become classics, and 30 years on, people are still watching them. And there are things that. I mean, like Gavin and Stacey was uh, in the noughties or whenever it was on. Was everyone was going on about it? But now I don't think anyone looks back at Gavin and Stacey and goes, "That is my favourite." Anyone? So, so, I mean, maybe they didn't at the time. It might, but it's, but it's, it's interesting. Something can be like bang and then disappear, and something can be like only fools and horses, and everyone yeah. goes, "That's some, you know, amazing forever." Yeah. Uh, or um, Tom Jones by uh, the the book by uh, now my brain's no. not working. I think this podcast will be forever, Richard. This podcast will mm. go on for. Uh, it certainly feels like it's it will going go on forever. forever. <laughs> it will go on forever, and we haven't even done an hour yet. Uh, I'm, I'm hosting the next show on today, so I can make this last as long as I like. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think it was good. I think it was spitting image was quite good. I'll ask you another question. Uh, this is another emergency question. See so how you get on with this. Okay. Um, I uh, kettle crisps are not as nice as they once were. <laughs> have I changed or have they? <laughs> That's not the question. <laughs> if you could travel back in time to compare any food stuff of today with an equivalent in the past, A, what food would it be? B, what time would you go to? Gosh, that's interesting. Thank you. So this is... <laughs> God, that's really good. This is Ironically, I quite like to try bacon as well because I think bacon was better in the 1970s than it is now. How could it be better in the... Why would it be better in the 1970s? Because it's all full it's of... pumped full of water then. Yeah. I mean, now it's getting there now. No, it's pumped full of water now. It used to be proper bacon. They'd just slice it off a pig and give it to you in those days. Now... now yeah. The pig, the pig wasn't even dead. <laughs> it was delicious. But yeah. what would you... It's not up to me. I know, this is... I mean, this is a bit like one of those Giles Corrin, Sue Perkins kind of food shows, isn't <laughs> it? It is. It this is like... Like, I refer you to an answer I gave earlier, which is... It was my 40th birthday party <laughs> last night. I went to bed at seven. Yeah. I'm not sure I even slept then. I've basically come straight here yeah. from there, having had a couple more beers on the way. Yeah. And I just don't have the brain capacity <laughs> to think about what food now I would compare with a food stuff from the past. It's not happening. Have you got any, got any more Richards lined up? <laughs> <laughs> Give me some time. All right. Have you ever seen a ghost? Well, do you think I believe in ghosts? Well, I don't, don't have to believe in one to see them. Yeah, you do. <laughs> now, that conceptually doesn't make any sense. You have to believe in a ghost to you see the ghost. I don't believe in you ghosts. You can't see... No, that's not true. I you don't can't believe say. in ghosts, but if a ghost came in now here and uh, I saw it, I would still see it. 
No, but then you don't need one because you would then, for you to see a ghost, yeah. you have to believe it's a ghost, and therefore you believe in ghosts. So if you don't believe in ghosts, you've never seen a ghost. Okay. Richard. <laughs> I, I'm prepared to have my viewpoint changed if a ghost comes in. If God, if God came down and said, hey, Richard, I'm God... <laughs> And I am, re- I am real, and this is the one, this is the correct one book you should be reading about me. Forget <laughs> the other ones. I don't know why I haven't told everyone this, but I'm telling you. <laughs> it would sort out a lot of problems if I just said to everyone which one I was. But I don't want, I like the problems. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell everyone else. I would then believe in God or think I'd had a psychotic episode. What am I for... <laughs> <laughs> More likely, but one of my favourite conversations that we've had on the radio <laughs> is when you were... Because t- I do this with my parents being an atheist, where, you know, I row with my mum, and, and you've said the same before, where you, like, row with your parents, yeah. and at the end, you, you wonder why you're doing it, right? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, what, what are you trying to achieve? You're just trying to make them... Un- you know, you try- they've got some happiness in their life. And also, if you're right, if you manage to convert your parents to atheism, and you're wrong... And they get to heaven, got to go, sorry, you can't come in. They go, well, I was religious for, 50, you know, for 80 years. Yeah, but then at the end, you change your mind. Oh, so no. you can't, you've got to go to hell. It works the other way around, which is the beauty of Christianity. We could get to 80 and go, oh, no, I do believe now. And then God has to go, all right. Isn't that simple? Yeah, then you come. <laughs> yeah, so fine. That is so... Uh, Fred West's in heaven, because he, he probably just said sorry at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon Pope John Paul II probably when he got Alzheimer's at the end probably went, I don't believe in this anymore. He's in hell. Because of Alzheimer's disease. There's clearly going to be a lot better crowd in hell. (laughs) Um, I think that... But I row with my mum and I think... I do think, why might... Like, why would I want to win this argument? What am I trying to achieve? So at the end of it, she doesn't believe in God anymore and then she's a bit less happy. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's about being right, isn't it? It is basically being right. (laughs) Can I prove that I'm right? Do you know um, how old Noah lived to be? Pardon? Do you know how old Noah? How Noah's old like? Noah was? He was quite old, wasn't he? Is it like 945? Uh, I, I think, but isn't a lot of that just that they were trying to make the time frame work? It goes back to Archbishop Usher, who decided that the world began on the 25th of October, you know, sometime BC, because he'd worked out everything, and I think they had to make certain people certain ages to... Right. I think, like, Methuselah probably was in the Bible as being old, but I'm not sure Noah's age was actually in the Bible. Uh, are you following the American presidential election at all? Uh, very vaguely, <coughs> via watching Saturday Night Live sketches, uh, <laughs> so I, without knowing who they are referring to, which I quite... Apart from Donald Trump, who I do. Yeah, I, so I watch it really closely. It's pretty yeah. much all I read, and I'm about to start working for ABC News, where we're of talking course, about yeah. it a lot, but I... Um, it's gripping, and there's a guy called Ben Carson who's a neurosurgeon, so therefore technically a scientist, and he believes the Earth is, you know, six thousand years old, yeah. and he thinks the theory of evolution uh, is propagated by the Satan came up with it. Yeah, the Satan came up with the theory of evolution, and he's a neurosurgeon. Yeah, and it's kind of a, it's just a baffling concept. <laughs> he's a neurosurgeon. Yeah, he did the, uh, there's a brilliant uh, humorous piece in the New Yorker. I think it was a sort of ironic piece. But it's about where other brain surgeons have come forward and say, this is just such good news. This takes the pressure off us. Because we're brain surgeons, people think we're like super bright and we know everything. <laughs> and we go to dinner parties. And it's exhausting. And at last, <laughs> they realise we only know one thing. <laughs> All the pressures is back on the rocket scientists yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> it is great, but it's incredible. But then I think, although the American, pre- every, the way all democracy is going now, makes me think that democracy is probably not the right way to have a political system yeah. in the modern world. 
Because, A, people start voting... Because of TV, people start voting in idiots like they would vote... You know, it started with Big Brother, and then now Donald Trump is genuinely a potential president of the United yeah, States. And so that's insane, that you, that because... And that, and that people are then voicing an opinion, you know, we're going to decide whether we leave the European Union or not, yeah. based on whether you think it's a good idea or not. Based without... on public opinion, which is not very well informed. Yeah, well, you know, they it's don't not... know. No one knows whether it's going to be better for them or worse. It's almost certainly going to be much worse for everyone. Yeah. But, you know, because they don't like people the coming. They don't like foreign people. <laughs> yeah, no. Did you ever think of doing um, Francis Bacon when you went to France? <laughs> there been two and... friends. No. Said hello to French people <laughs> on Big Breakfast. Uh, Francis Bacon. God, Gosh, this is very similar to sort of, this is the level of conversation I was having about half. <laughs> it was look, neither of us have had any sleep. Yeah. You, you because you've been having fun, me because I've been cleaning snot off the face of a idiot child that I created, <laughs> that I now regret creating. I, yeah. thought, I thought I was a god. Thought, look at that, I've done this amazing thing and then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too hot. I, I might die and it'll be your fault. She's not, she doesn't say that. She can't speak, but that's... Do you secretly think you were happier before you had a child? Uh, I don't know. I was very unhappy before I had a child. <laughs> oh, I'm now slightly less unhappy, but oh, still okay. unhappy. I know, I really like I love my kids, but I'm no more or less happy. I like it a lot, but I think I left it later, and so I absolutely got everything out of my system. So <laughs> I'm absolutely ready to have children, and I, lo- I really like it. Even the, I, I think was that's even when she's I, the, 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 when she's ill. The, just the thing is, oh god, this is horrible. She's ill and she doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. Really, but, you um, very, I, like very, I just there must be quite a lot of people who secretly were happier before they had kids. Oh, but yeah, it's lots. just a thing you can't say, right? But there's loads of research about this that's come out, which shows that people, parents, are at their happiest before they have kids and when their kids leave home. Right. <laughs> 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 but no one says that. Like no, no one puts their name to that opinion. No. And it's about time someone did. <laughs> Are you the man to well, do it? Well, I'm getting close to it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's, there's, a lot, there's a lot that's annoying about it, but I think, um, you know, A, I'll be dead by the time she leaves home. So that's, I'm not going to... I'm in this for life. Mm. Uh, so that's quite good. There's no way out of this prison, you know. <laughs> I've got to stay with my wife, really, whatever, however well we're getting on. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Probably just have some more kids just to, you know, make fill up the time. <laughs> um, I think, you know, I, don't, I think a lot of people aren't. I know if I'd had kids when I was 20, I think I'd have, or, you know, in my, in my 20s, or probably even my 30s, I probably would uh, have, ha- have harboured regrets, but I don't, uh, I don't, because I felt like I'd had enough of all the other stuff. And it's great. I, it's, I really, really like being a dad. But I've, it's new, isn't it, for me? I mean, it's only 10 months in, so. Yeah, 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 you know, I don't want to go too far in case my wife yeah. chooses or my mother-in-law chooses to down or my children. Yeah, the, ch- <laughs> and, uh, the children will download it. It's, it's always going to be there on the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when they're 18, I'm going to email them at the link. <laughs> I'm not going to do it before then. Dad wishes still... you'd never been born. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, they're annoying. Yeah. Are they uh, they they're, are. They're, they're, I think, I think they'll re- there'll be more for them to resent. I mean, I feel sorry that the world's going to be awful for them that's my fear is that either the climate or the world war three and the radiation that's going to be coming with that the threat of terrorism and Mm. all dying can we get back to the uh richard bacons and the uh dicks on the island yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I'll ask you another emergency question. Yeah. It's not with this good. We got to the point now that just, we don't usually get to at about in about another twenty minutes. But there's time for us to get through it at the moment, so that's good. Go on. <laughs> have you ever Have you ever seen a Bigfoot? Well, is that to the, <laughs> that was the, the question that the I thought was going to capital letters or no? It's I... a Bigfoot, the Sasquatch I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. No. no. Okay. <laughs> Which celebrity would you like to stroke your hair as you die? It's quite a nice thought. Yeah. Um, and these are hard questions for a man who hasn't had any sleep. But um, you know. Yeah. Well, I, have, you, have you answered that question yourself? I chose I mean, Bounce of the Dog from Neighbours for some reason because <laughs> I think I was in a similar state of you know, being out of my head with drunkenness or tiredness or something else there. But I would quite, just be quite nice to... Yeah, and does Bounce of the Dog count as a celebrity? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I, to be honest, if I had the choice between you and Bounce of the Dog to interview now, fucking Bounce of the Dog would yeah. be there, man. So... <laughs> Gosh. And he would be a more eloquent and polite guest. <laughs> You've been very good, Richard. I'm only thanks. joking. I'm, thanks, I've had thanks, a lot of time. But I realise I haven't answered your question. No. Uh, Tina Hobley. Oh, yeah, yeah, Tina Hobley. Tina Hobley. Yeah, I've just... I thanked. Someone applauded there. <laughs> I did, thanks. Uh, I slightly pulled the name out of thin air. Slash, I used to have a sarcastic feature about her on XFM yeah. called Hail's Tina Hobley, in which my friend would impersonate Tina Hobley. And I would call up my friend impersonating her and I would say, hello, Tina, how are you? And he'd tell me how she was. And that was the entire <laughs> basis of the, of the whole feature. It was very good. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that show ever won an award, Richard. No. I mean, that would be obviously an exaggeration. It's not up with Desert Island Dicks as an no. idea. <laughs> no. <laughs> but Tina Hobley is my answer. Okay, that's mm. good. I think it'll be nice. And I think she will outlive you as well. Yeah. Whereas she Bouncer, was my, Bouncer uh, has not outlived me, as I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing Bouncer. There might have been several Bouncers. Tina Hobley was at my birthday party last night. Was she? No, you're jealous. I am jealous. Why was I? No, you're thinking, why didn't I make the why, cut? Why wasn't I invited? <laughs> you get on saying, me, oh, you know, I'll be, it'll be my 40th birthday party the day before the podcast. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of us had to have some energy, Richard. That's the important thing. It's true. When, and unfortunately, neither of us uh, have. do. You are the most controversial top of the props presenter there has ever been. <laughs> And I've been a top of the pots presenter as well, so that you even topped me in that you have you yeah I've done, I did it twice. Uh, you called the magic numbers fat. Well, I didn't, Richard, uh, as you well know. <laughs> uh, so uh, the magic numbers came on top of the pops, and for some reason this day it was live, and I was rehearsing with Fern Cotton, who I was co-presenting with, yeah. and they were standing behind us. Um, and the link, which had been written for me, um, said that uh, this, uh, they're a family and they're a, they're a big melting pot of talent. And I ad-libbed. I said they're a big, fat melting pot of talent. <laughs> but I meant P-H-A-T, Richard. And, <laughs> well, I actually did mean that. I don't really believe yeah. me. I did mean that. And it was, it was in dress rehearsals. And they walked off. They did the song for the rehearsal. They got off stage and they went to their dressing room. They're very upset. And they decided that they were going to leave. And so the executive producer came up to me and said... Like, they're going. And we're, we're live in, you know, 40 minutes. And that's like, we've got a big hole in the show. We're on BBC One in 40 minutes. And the band are walking out. And so I, I thought, well, I said, it was Andy Peters who was the exec producer at the time. Remember yeah, the kids I presenter? And I said, Andy, I'll, let me go and smooth this over. 
And so I, I found their tour manager and I said, can I go and speak to the band? And he said, absolutely not. So I thought, I'll, I'll make a pitch to him. And I, I said, um, I said, look, uh, you know, I didn't mean it with an F, I meant it with a, a PH. Um, I, hadn't even, I hadn't even seen them. You know, they're like, <laughs> I was looking at the camera, I don't know yeah. what shape they were. So I didn't mean it, and they're, you know, they're a great band. Um, and, you know, we've got a hole in the show, great opportunity for your band, of course, to be on top of the pops. So why don't you stay? And then, oh, there's a word on here that I can't even, I don't think you even use on a podcast, but you, you said, can. can I? Yeah. All right. Do you know what the word is? No, but you can use any motherfucking word you want. All right. He said, what you just did is the equivalent of having a black band on and introducing them as a bunch of niggers. I oh, know you can't say that. God. I seem to think I've got myself into trouble twice with the same incident. The same incident. Haunting me. That's it, you're quoting someone else. Yeah, that's true. That's so that's true. That's true. You'll still be in trouble though, because you know, for, for some reason everyone just wants to get you, don't they? But they don't they don't get no. you. You survive you're like us you're like Jesus. Uh, <laughs> you're my you're my my personal Jesus. Can I just say for yeah. legal reasons, I think it was a tour manager, but it could have been any number of people associated <laughs> with the band. Could have been any number, may not specifically have been whoever was a tour manager at that day. It seems very oversensitive of the magic numbers. I, I thought so. To, um, like, walk off the shut. I mean, like, it's stupid of them as well, because it's Top of the Pops. Yeah, yeah, it was great for them. And also, when we did Top of the Pops, no one could... We were really rude about everyone, like, and we were allowed to write our own links. Uh, and uh, no, no one could... We do, E17 were, like, behind us. Yeah. And we were just saying what we wanted about E17 and going like that. And, uh, and talking about how Brian Harvey had bought a, a big pack of... He said, we'd been talking to Brian Harvey earlier on. He said he isn't a millionaire. He said to the producer, he's not a millionaire, but I couldn't help noticing he was watching, he was eating a large bag of minstrels. (laughs) (laughs) Maltesers. So, uh, and then I, then we, yeah, so we were quite rude about them. Oh, well, yeah, but then I think maybe people would expect that of a comedian. Maybe. Rather but than... just they couldn't hear us, that's all it was. You know, sometimes you don't quite know what's going to become a story. Let's say that band walks out. And the next day, it was picked up on by a lot of the newspapers, right. and which surprised me. And then you don't... When it's in the newspapers, you have that slight nervousness of, I quite know where this is going. They very handily petered out. But it, that night, so it was in the papers that day, and that night on Channel 4 News, which I just happened to have on, and it's obviously a very light news day. And so imagine I was walked out, and it's towards the end of Channel 4 News, obviously. And Jon Snow said... A picture of me came up behind him... <laughs> And he said, former Blue Peter presenter Richard Bacon strikes again. (laughs) Uh, And then I was number one. I was number one that year of the... The NME had... It was called the top ten, like, cunts list or something. And I was number one. Pretty good. You're going to be in it. (laughs) It seems, stra- it seems strange that these things come back to... Do you think it's something about you that... I think that um, there's, just, there's quite a lot of chaos about me. I mean, I, there is... I, I did quite a chaotic life. And uh, I, think, I think you're really... I really like you a lot. I have to say that. Uh, I think you're very funny. 
about why is it, why do all these things? Do you think it's just because that first thing? It's very you've, you've, it's very difficult, and it's a good idea going to America, isn't it? Is this part of your reasoning that no one there knows any of about nonsense. that? Well, any of those things, no. but the Blue Peter won't mean anything to them. So that's nice to be able to start again because you've got like this thing that will all whatever when you die. Whatever else you've done, you say this in the book anyway, but whatever else you've done, that will be the first thing they say about yeah, you. I mean, if I like. Unless you like kill some kids or something. <laughs> that's your only way out of That's your only way out of it. <laughs> I mean, calling the magic numbers fat is not enough. That's what I'm saying. You didn't go far enough. If you'd said the magic numbers aren't actually magic, that might have been more controversial. But that's not the reason you're going to America, but. Uh, in meetings in America, when you go meet TV people there, they love that Blippied story. Right. I mean, they actually just find it really funny. And it yeah. doesn't, it's not really, it doesn't impede you in any way. They just no. think it's great. The reason for going to America was more, we wanted to live in LA for a bit. And yeah. um, uh, my wife was a nanny to the Motley crew in Malibu when she was 18. And right. so she has this kind of romantic attachment, as you can imagine, to... Uh, it's almost, what? Uh, well, <laughs> it's exciting, right? And yeah. so, so we wanted to go back there. So no, that wasn't the reasoning. Um... And I'm so tired, I don't know where I'm going with this statement. Okay, I, did have so, I did have a destination, yeah. but it sort of dropped away. That's fine. It's all right. We're both, we're just two... We're having a nice time. We're two men nearly in our, in our 40s. I could say in our 40s, but you're not in your Good. 40s yet. At midnight you'll tonight. Never know, you'll never know what it feels like to be... <laughs> I know what I was... Richard, I know yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, well, I'm saying. That there's uh, strange things happen to me, all these silly things or cartoony things, or whatever you want to call them. But there's a quite a lot of chaos in my life and um, last night at my 40th birthday party I paid a tribute to my mum and dad who were there because I thought yeah. well it's 40 years ago since they had me and I was talking about them and it sort of made me realise that the sort of the chaos that surrounds me I've just got from them and that they are all over the shop I mean they my, my mum the other day was on a train and she was drunk and <laughs> she was meant to get off at Newark and she fell asleep and she woke up and she was in Chesterfield and she got off the train. It was too late to get a train back. There were no more trains back. And she was drunk, and so she decided to sleep the night on the platform. <laughs> and then the other day, my mum and dad were walking in Chiswick House and grounds, and they hadn't noticed the time, and they got locked in, and they had to get rescued <laughs> over the wall by the fire brigade. <laughs> and then not, another time, not long ago, my dad drove to Birmingham Airport, and he was, he was late as usual, and he, was, he got the, could put his car in the Chorstow car park. He looked at his watch and it was 55 minutes until the flight took off and he thought, I, can, I reckon I can make this flight. And then he opened the boot of his car and the dog was in there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's in the genes, Rich. Yeah. You see what I mean? It's in the genes. <laughs> <laughs> My dad would have done that magic number thing if he'd been presenting yeah. it. It's in the genes. <laughs> in the genes. <laughs> But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, nothing, nothing it sticks and everyone still, you know, you, you still work and everyone still likes you. Do you think? I mean, you know, well, I think everyone you're being punched does, in the face in the toilet, but apart from that, everyone <laughs> likes you. Yeah, that's uh, true. It's, uh, that was my, my, my now wife's ex-boyfriend. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's not everyone likes me, but uh, yeah, I still work. And I think, yeah. um, I think at the moment... I mean, it's, the, my 30s were a lot of fun, right? I mean, because I just... They just not over yet, not, Richard. They're not they're over Something could go horribly wrong or <laughs> even better. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but I think... I don't know what happens next, really. And I'm, I'm not as anxious as I should be about it, but I'm, you know, I'm turning 40. Um, I'm working in America, but I don't know how, if it's going to work out when I start then in a couple of weeks. But 
I don't know where I'm going to be or what's going to happen. Um, but it, it's certainly something new is happening now. And probably I should finally learn from my mistakes. <laughs> I think it's time. And certainly if I'm going to do sensible stuff over there, there may need to be a new version of me that emerges. Um, I just don't know whether I've got the, sort of the willpower or the capacity to find it. <laughs> well, when I send them the copy of this podcast over and what you said earlier, which I can only apologise for, <laughs> <laughs> you will never work in America again. <laughs> <laughs> It's not uh, filmed, is it? It is filmed. So there's footage of me yeah. saying the anyway. <laughs> And to be honest, I'm just going to cut out everything else you said and every answer to every question is just you going to be repeating that over and over again. I'm going to be working for ABC <laughs> News and there's footage of me on yeah. YouTube saying the N-word. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this who, is like... Who do you blame for all the world's problems, Richard? <laughs> A bunch of... <laughs> Don't say it again. Uh, it makes my job much easier. Uh, well, if nothing else, I need to love got another chapter for a future book, Richard. <laughs> it's another incident. Former Blue Peter presenter Richard Bacon strikes yet again. <laughs> yet again. <laughs> anyway, we're going to have to wind up because I have to now introduce the uh, new acts of the year 2015 okay. competition, which I'm doing now. In here. Hang around if you want to watch it here. Not you at home, it's, it's past. Uh, so uh, come and see the next year's one. Uh, thank you very much to my 100th guest and a fine man. been listening to Richard Herring's Let's Describe the Podcast with me, Richard Herring, and my guest, Richard Bacon. The music is by Pess. Thank you to everyone at Go Faster Stripe. They are very nice. Thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre for having me here on a Sunday afternoon. Well, let's do it on Mondays from now on, though. Uh, thank you to everyone at the British Comedy Guide for helping us out and for Ian Tunes, who runs iTunes and for letting us put our stuff up there for free as well and anywhere else that this podcast ends up being. It's nice, thank you. Uh, the producer is Dave Cribb. I am Richard Herring. I do this, this voiceover at the end and it is a Sky Potato Fuzz and GoFasterStripe.com production. Thank you for listening to this series of Rich Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. As I may have mentioned at the start, that is 100 episodes of this podcast that are now available, plus a few specials as well. Um, so if you feel that you've enjoyed those and that they were worth anything to you, were they worth one pence each to you, those podcasts? If so, go to gofasterstrike.com slash badges and buy a badge for one pound and you will have paid for those 100 podcasts. You might think they were worth a pound each, in which case go and give £100 at that site. You may think they were worth £10 each. You can do the mathematics, but, you know... Or you might think they were worth nothing. Or you might think that I owe you some money, in which case get in touch with me and tell me how much you think you've lost through listening to this, and I will send you a cheque uh, for whatever amount you think is reasonable. Uh, gofasterstripe.com slash badges and that will help us all that money will go to help us making more series of this podcast we'll be back in June I think these are going to carry we've got some repeats to, to push out on the video at least so um, they're, they're pretty much going to carry on coming out on a weekly basis but we'll be back in June and then there's some more in the autumn and we'll, I'm sure we'll be doing a Kickstarter for those as well so thanks for listening 
100 years old today. Thank you very much. It was one a year we did. Goodbye.